News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Today's podcast needs very little introduction, guys. Um, it is a conversation I was privileged to be a part of with Jonathan Stickland and Matt Rinaldi. I want to get you right to that conversation. Um, and today's podcast is sponsored by Patriot Academy, and we will play that advertisement at the end of this conversation. It's an important one for many of you to hear, so I want to get straight to it. I'm grateful for Jonathan and Matt being willing to sit down with us. And with that, let's get straight to this conversation. So, Matt, how mad are you right now at the Republican leadership in Texas? I'm pretty angry. I'm pretty angry too and I'm trying not to use other words that are coming to my mind I I'm really scared for our state right now I'll be honest with you this gun stuff with uh, Dan Patrick is and uh, Governor Abbott is kind of what we're talking about today and I think um, you know I think there's a lot of folks out there who I've talked to and heard from that feel helpless right now on like what is going on is this really happening in Texas and so I just thought might be a good idea for us to talk about that. So Yeah, well, if I feel helpless, I'm sure a lot of people who haven't been in office definitely yeah. feel helpless. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this was we're, – we're used to Republicans selling us out. Yeah. Um, they do it on fiscal issues all the time. They do it on a lot of social issues. But the gun issue in Texas was always something that we never had to worry about. Yeah. Um, and that all changed when Governor Abbott and Dan Patrick opened the door – uh, to some of the, the gun control measures that we successfully defeated after Sandy Hook, after a couple other mass shootings, because it wouldn't help. Well, and, and the thing that's frustrating is because it's not just them opening the door to some of these policies. It's I've, I've seen Dan Patrick, our lieutenant governor, adopting the talking points of the left. Yes. It's, it's not even just policy. It's him uh, going a completely different direction and now you know, adopting this theory that, that guns are somehow evil and that government has any role whatsoever in stopping this kind of violence and that government can solve our problems. And it's, it's just crazy to me because I remember, I remember when Dan Patrick was a senator and I was, it was my freshman year, I went over to the Senate floor and he was sitting there all by himself. And it was, it was one of those years where Dan Patrick was like on this political island. Mm-hmm. He was the one no vote almost mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. And I'm over on the House. I'm noticing this. And I'm like, ah, oh, this guy, maybe he's my friend. I really didn't even know him. But I go over there and, and, I, and I noticed. And right when I walked over to the Senate floor, there was just a vote. And he was the only no vote. And I walked over to him and I said, I think what you're doing here is awesome. And I think there is such a vacuum for conservative leadership in Texas. You should run for lieutenant governor if you do, I'll back you. And he was literally sitting in his chair and he kind of looked up at me and he's like, we, we didn't really even know each other. But I knew that he, I knew him as a conservative fighter. I knew him as somebody who put principle over politics. And if you go back and you look at that first campaign that Dan Patrick had for lieutenant governor, and I think it was a four-way race. He's running against the incumbent, David Dewhurst, who had you know, slowly slid to become more of a moderate. Mm-hmm. You had Jerry Patterson and, and Todd Staples in that race. Dan Patrick stood out as the true conservative. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at his ads, mm-hmm. I remember his TV ads. There were two things he talked about, border security and Second Amendment rights. And here we are just a few years later. We've got a politician who's become 
apparently completely disconnected from the grassroots and the people who got him into that position. And now he's literally adopted the talking points of the left. Yeah. It's crazy. Matt, what you got elected in 2014, that same year that Dan Patrick became lieutenant governor, the same year that a lot of conservative lawmakers came into office. And I know that many in the media called it, you know, the most conservative uh, legislative body, both in the Senate and the House than we'd seen in a very long time. So uh, maybe tell some of our listeners what you see as the genesis from, you know, or what's what's the story from 2015 to where we are today, 2019, we're four years in, and now you have a very different conversation happening within the Republican Party than was happening at that time. What are some of the things you think have either caused this? What's the Where does the shift come from? Well, I, I mean, I think the shift comes from top down. I think the big three are who drive policy in the state of Texas. Hmm. People often react to it. And we, we had a push against Joe Strauss, who was a Mm -hmm. a liberal leader in the House, and we overcame that uh, and had a great session in 2017, one of the most conservative in history. We did it because we had a governor on our side and we had a lieutenant governor on our side. Hmm. We came into this session now, and no, the the results weren't as good. We we had generally a do-nothing session. The victories were Pyrrhic victories. And we did because we didn't have the lieutenant governor and the governor driving policy from up top. And I think you see it now. I think they were shocked by the election results in November. Mm. They shouldn't have been. It's a midterm election uh, with, a, with your party as, as president. Um, politics is a game that ebbs and flows. And, and generally, a lot of the people in a general electorate who vote are not voting based on mm. issues. Mm. Uh, we saw that in a lot of the polling. And, and a lot of people chose to believe that, well, you know, everybody loves what's happening right now, so we couldn't possibly lose this election. Then when they did, I think the lieutenant governor especially got hit hard by it and is reacting with fear. Yeah. I think he needs to mm. stop that. I think he needs to drive the debate again because people are largely unsettled on this issue. Mm-hmm. Well, it, one of the things I noticed that was different, tell me if you agree with this, Matt. So in the past, you had Abbott kind of, you know, he's the governor, he's kind of looking over everything, but we didn't get much direction from him as governor as his first session. He was kind of a a hands-off kind of guy. He was talking about things, but he wasn't driving anything. But then you had Dan Patrick, who was literally driving the discussion, and at many times offering a clear contrast to the Joe Strauss uh, section of the party, and frankly, going to war with them. You had Dan Patrick and Joe Strauss at odds, and it was very clear who was the conservative and who was the, the liberal Republican. And coming into this session, for whatever reason, Strauss is gone. We've got a new speaker, Dennis Bonin. And they come up with this grand plan of, like, unity is more important than actual outcomes or policy. And so, you know, it was weird to me. I've never seen, but the whole thing was like, well, policy is one thing, but the big thing is we're all going to be together. Look at this unity. Every policy decision that they talked about, they had the same talking points. They had the same agenda. They had the same priority list. It was all top down. So I do think there was some leadership, but the problem was is that it was leadership in, hey, we're going to protect the institution. They have become part of the establishment. That was more important to them than drawing any contrast. Do you think that's right? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, it was funny because I, I, I think Dennis Bonin was shocked at the whole thing. I mean, I think he, he expected to have to fight to, to, to kind of move towards the middle. And then when Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick you know, wanted to avoid all the, I guess, controversial, I put in quotes, issues. Um, I think he was shocked and he was like, wow, this, this is going to be easy now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I do completely agree. So the, so the big change to me and Dan Patrick is someone who I've been, I mean, he was a friend of mine. I supported him, helped him raise money, did all these things for him. 
Um, but this last election, I felt like he was acting a little bit different. Whereas before, when he became lieutenant governor, I saw him at all these events. I saw him interacting on social media, very connected to the grassroots, talking about the leaders in a respectful way, working with conservative groups, and and you know, kind of building the team. In the last election, I feel like he almost shut down a little bit. I didn't see him out there. I didn't see him interacting. And that's one of the things that I've noticed about the politicians in Austin is they may start off with, with decent intentions, but if you get disconnected from reality, yeah. if you get disconnected from those people and you're not getting that gut check, you lose yourself very quickly. That's, that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. And I think Abbott was even out there more during our election. He was incredibly helpful, and, and we didn't see Patrick even out there as much as Greg Abbott was yeah. helping Republican candidates and helping getting us through election. Dan and was it, almost hiding. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, the, you know, I, we need people out there connected with the grassroots. People don't respond well anymore to these canned political talking points that are given hmm. to you by consultants. Hmm. They appreciate people who level with them. I mean, you ever read Matt Krause's posts on social media? Yep. People appreciate that. They're very yeah. well thought out. They're long. Yep. They're tired of this. It's almost like your radar goes off and you just tune out. It's authentic. Everything that's, yeah, it's authentic. It's, it's almost like people have an authenticity filter now. Mm -hmm. that they filter out all the, the inauthentic statements by, made by politicians and only hear the good stuff. Right. Um, we see that. I mean, we see ads not, re people not responding to ads good and bad in elections. Wasn't that um, literally Dan Patrick's thing, authentic conservative? Wasn't uh, that in his ads? I think it might have been. I, got a, I have a question for, for maybe both of you, and I'll, I'll ask it to you first, Jonathan. I mean, why – is there a reason you think that Republicans' reaction to um, an electoral defeat – like 2018 is different than Democrats. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, when Republicans did incredibly well in 2010, I just, maybe I, I wasn't looking, but I don't remember all these Democrats coming out saying, we're now going to push all of these conservative policies yeah. in order to try to placate what we think is now the majority of America, right? No. So is there, what is it about Republicans that are more prone to react this way than Democrats? I think there's a lot that goes into that. I think the consultant class has a lot to do with that. Um, there's a general feeling of politicians that, like, if I'm not noticed, if, no, if, if I don't have to take a stand, if I don't have to do anything, then maybe they won't be mad at me. Hmm. And you look at what the Democrats do, and, and their number one goal in regaining power in every situation I've seen is go back to their base, go back to where their strength is. Hmm. And, and for whatever reason, Republicans have bought into this idea that, well, if the Democrats are gaining speed, then we need to start becoming and looking more like Democrats instead of offering a clear, a clear contrast. And it, and it blows my mind because when I look at it, you, you got when you look at real Republican victories in the past, especially on the presidential level, you look at Ronald Reagan, you look at Donald Trump. These are people who went out there and literally took the banner and they took hits. And our leadership right now is not doing that in Texas. Yeah, what was the, when was the last time a Democrat or the Democratic Party lost an election overwhelmingly and then uh, shifted to the right? Yeah. When was the last time it happened? I mean, it happened in 1994. 
Okay. Uh, when Republicans took Congress, and you saw I was Bill four Clinton, years old, so know. you know I might not have <laughs> as much context. He was young too. Okay. No, but you, you saw that, and you yep. saw Bill Clinton shifted yes. right and 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 capitulated yep. a welfare reform, and unfortunately there was an assault weapons ban passed. Um, but you know, on fiscal issues, uh, we balanced the budget. Uh, we we reformed welfare. Uh, you saw that happen during a Democrat presidency. Since then, hasn't happened. The Democrats took a different policy. Uh, they would sell their ideas. They would go out there. They would believe they're right. They would sell their ideas. And when they got elected, they would implement them. And sometimes they would lose elections, but they'd come right back. Mm. And that's worked for them. And mm. you saw our culture shift over the last 20 years. And they've been winning on most issues, except for guns and life, I think, where mm -hmm. public opinion shifting towards us. But on all the other issues, Democrats are making huge gains. And that's the strategy we need to adopt. We need people out there on guns. When you look at polls, okay, I was just looking at Gallup polls. If you go on there, it's interesting to see. In the same polls, in similar polls, you will ask them identical questions and get different answers depending on what words are used. Yep. Like you would say, okay, well, Dan Patrick brings up a poll and says, um, what is it, 92% of the people want a law requiring background checks for all gun sales. Well, you also ask them, okay, would you like to see gun laws in the country made more strict, less strict, or stay the same? Well, 39% of the people are satisfied with the gun laws as they are and wouldn't make any changes. 8% on top of that are dissatisfied and want less strict laws. So, so those two are incompatible unless yeah. people don't have the information hmm. to decide whether or not majority of people may think background checks are for all purchases. Yeah. They might not know about private party law sales. They might not know what an assault weapon is. Right. Well, okay, so two things that come to mind on that. Number one, um, this is politics is an industry full of people who can take a little bit of something and turn it into something else. These polls are manipulated mm -hmm. um, all of the time. But what the heck happened to having principles, period? If you're the right. leader of the Republican Party and public opinion starts to wane, let's say, on a tough issue, when something emotional has happened, like the shooting that affects and, and upsets all of us. Don't you have a responsibility to then go out and educate the public on why liberty and the Constitution matters? Why, don't, why aren't we seeing that from any of these guys? I agree. And, and, and it's just, it's absolutely maddening uh, to see them come out and do this. I mean, look, when the NRA comes out, and it's frustrated with you. And the NRA, for those who, who may not know, tell me if you agree with this, Matt, mm -hmm. the NRA has traditionally been one of the weaker pro-Second Amendment groups mm -hmm. who have at some times apologized. And now you see uh, some of our leadership come out. Luke, do you have the... I what do, did the yeah. NRA say? It was one of the most shocking statements that I have seen come out of the NRA, which sent up a, a you know... Oh my gosh, we're in trouble. Yeah. If you're one of the big kind three in the NRAs coming out against you publicly in like Texas. that, then that should set off red flags in your own head. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll read this uh, here in just a second. I like to say that I think that, you know, for Gun Owners of America, National Association for Gun Rights, some of our state-based gun groups as well, I mean, if you turn your back on gun owners, they'll call you out. But it's not until you start running the opposite direction that the NRA then steps in and starts or literally to take. attack the NRA, which <laughs> is which is what has happened yep. here. And yeah. so they their reaction. This is just uh, the start of their statement. There, you can go to the nraila.org to read their full statement on Dan Patrick. It's several pages, but they said Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick uses his political website to claim he is leading the fight 
for life and liberty in Texas, including standing up for the Second Amendment. He also proudly notes his prior NRA endorsement. But when it comes to the right to keep and bear arms, Dan Patrick is showing himself to be all hat and no cattle. On Friday, for example, he appeared on Fox News to promote a federal mandate for expanded background checks. In doing so, he exposed himself as not just unprincipled on the Second Amendment, but ill-informed as well. Um, they then go on to talk about. Do you want to keep reading the uh, parts no, about I mean, Odessa? I think, I, I think it gets to it. But you know, look, I've been through Republican primaries. I've been through general elections. Um, your Second Amendment, pro Second Amendment folks, are your volunteers. They are mm-hmm. the workforce behind a campaign. I would love to know what these people think is going to happen if you tick off your whole base. Everybody's saying this is the biggest election that we have going into 2020, Texas has to stay red. We're going to lose the White House Mm -hmm. if we don't. We're going into redistricting. Everything is on the line. And you guys are literally declaring war and saying, I'm going to defy the group of people who I'm counting on to come out and get this vote. I mean, I don't know. You tell me, have you met anyone who's excited about going to work for a moderate or John Cornyn for re-election? Nope. Absolutely not. So why are we doing this? It is interesting. I mean, I, I think that for for the last, and y'all uh, would probably agree with me over the last you know eight or ten years. I feel like the grassroots have usually been told that uh, conservative minded individuals, whether they're operatives, grassroots activists, or elected officials are told, you know, you pushing your policies are what's going to hurt us in November, Mm -hmm. right? So if we go along with your ideas, it's going to hurt us when it comes to winning the broader base in November. But this is uh, an undeniably harmful position to take when it comes to turning out Republicans in Texas. Right. To send them a message that keeping the Republican majority means that one of the top priorities next session is going to be gun control. Yeah. I and, mean, and, I, and by the way, I mean, just to talk about the specific issue, because people say, well, why, is, why are expanding background checks bad? Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, you have background checks. You have background checks for gun show purchases. You have background checks for any purchase by someone with a federal firearms license who's in the business of selling firearms. Um for private party purchases, for example, mm-hmm. if I purchased a gun from you, we mm-hmm. would not be required to go through an FFL. We're not even allowed to go through an FFL. Mm-hmm. We can't. We can't check that purchase. Yeah. So, you know, may, maybe something is open up the FFL for voluntary uh, voluntary use by mm-hmm. people making private party purchases. But the problem is forcing it creates a paper record of every transaction. Effectively yes. creates a national gun registry. Yep. And when you have the opposing party campaigning on gun confiscation. Yep. You're going to create a Mandatory. gun registry. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Mandatory gun confiscation. You're going to effectively create a gun registry through this. Yeah. Um, I just don't think, I don't think the lieutenant governor understands the issue. Did you see where he came on. out and then said, oh, well, we're going to make an exemption for family members and friends, mm-hmm. like kind of trying to walk it back a little bit? And you and I both, how, how the heck do you legislate that? How do you write into law what a friend is? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to go on record right now and say I'm friends with everybody in Texas, okay? Yeah. I hope you're all my friends. In fact, I consider you a friend. So, I mean, this just so shows the stupidity of all of this. You just t- talk about your family a little bit before you make the purchase. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, we've known each other for three hours. And, you know, it was a powerful three hours. I don't know. Was... But th- it's just ridiculous to try and act like they're going to be able to legislate this. Yeah. It's all pandering. No, it, it is pandering. And what we need and what would actually help right now is to have the governor and lieutenant governor to have enough faith in the position they campaigned on to actually 
tell them why, tell people why they believed it. It's it's mm. funny because you have a perfect opportunity to teach the public about a particular issue when it comes up like this. And what the polling results show isn't that people want background checks or don't want is that they don't know enough about the issue. I mean, when you look at the press, you're talking about, what was the article I read about, semi-automatic assault clips, and you have uh, people talking about AR-15s with chainsaw attachments, and I, I nobody knows what they're talking about. Nobody even knows what a semi-automatic weapon is yeah. who, who doesn't pay attention to the issue or may not be a gun owner. This is the opportunity to educate them. Yeah. What are AR-15s used for? Why can't we have a background check? Mm -hmm. um, for private party purchases, um, you know, educate them on the issue because well, we have faith in our position that our position is the position that will make a better society for everybody. Yeah, right? and what what I what I don't get is I thought we've all campaigned. I thought the Republican Party had this crazy idea that gun control and gun laws don't work, and I don't know. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard from them yet, but. Does Dan Patrick all of a sudden think that he's figured out how to write a law that criminals will obey? Because <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to work. Um, what what here's, are... Here's what's interesting, because you bring that up. Do you Go really ahead. think gun control is going to work? I was looking at the Gallup poll from a, a little while back. If new gun control laws were passed, do you think it would reduce the number of mass shootings in the U.S.? People were asked. 42% said not at all, 16% said only a little. So 58% said not at all or yep. only a little. They don't think government don't think it's is going to solve their problem. No. Matt, you talked— Hasn't uh, in Chicago. I know you brought up uh, publicly some, that the governor had previously, um, I think, had a petition he put up, right? It was mm -hmm. in 2015 or so. Can you talk a, a little bit about that and just the—it it, kind of shows the— positional changes that are happening within the leadership of the Republican No, no, this is currently up on, well, since I tweeted it, I don't know if he changed his website, but at the time I tweeted yep. it this weekend, um, up on the governor's website specifically was opposition to Obama's executive action in 2015, expanding background checks to trusts and those in the business of selling guns. And it's this petition attached to it and says, tell Obama to come and take it. They want to expand background checks to trusts and people who are in the business of selling firearms. Well, Dan Patrick's plan's much broader than that. Yeah. They want to, he wants to go broader and say people who are in private party purchases who aren't even in the business of selling firearms are going to have to sell to each other. And when you think of it, I mean, it's still up on his website. So mm -hmm. does he oppose it? Is he going to tell Dan Patrick to come and take it? Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, in those private party purchases, when you own a gun, we want to encourage gun ownership. Mm. In the past 30 years, the murder rate has been cut in half. Mm. And it's been cut in half as the number of firearms have doubled. Yeah. More good guys with guns. Yes. That's what we need. So why would you want to go, why would you want to disincentivize that? When you disincentivize that, you cause a change in the murder rate. The unintended consequences are that. You want to encourage gun ownership. And by saying that a person in a private party purchase has to spend $45 to run it through an FFL, federal firearms license holder, um, you know, you're increasing the cost of ownership of guns. You're disincentivizing gun ownership and it's going to have effects. And it's going to hurt poor people more than anybody else. Yes. If, I mean, think about it. I mean, if... If you're saving, a gun's a store of value in, in a way. I mean, it's a good investment. They do depreciate, but you're not going to lose a lot of money on it. If you purchase a firearm and immediately lose $45 because that's what it's going to cost you to sell it, yep. 
you're, it's not a store of value anymore. You might be less inclined to purchase a firearm. Mm-hmm. Who are some uh, other elected officials in Texas that have spoken out on this? I know that y'all, um, you know, we've talked about a couple that have, have at least been coming out vocally so, articulating issues like this. So the one, like, shining good thing that's come of all of this is you've united the grassroots again. Mm-hmm. And you see the conservative groups, the conservative activists, realizing how much the Second Amendment matters, Hmm. how important it is. And they realize what a horrible deal this will be if Texas leads the way on gun control under Dan Patrick. And so, like, I've been surprised. I've noticed a couple of the Freedom Caucus members, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of which I've been critical, kind of lost their, uh, you know, passion for fighting and, and in the trenches this last session, I feel like they calmed down a little bit. I've seen a couple of them like coming back to life and finding their purpose again. And that's been kind of fun to watch. Um, it's going to be interesting because I think politically speaking in Texas, you, there's an opportunity. When the leadership is not doing its job, there's an opportunity for new leaders to then kind of jump up the ladder of relevancy, especially within the conservative movement. Mm. And you'll watch these guys get elevated. So I've seen Representative Matt Schaefer come out with some awesome Schaefer's comment. been awesome. Schaefer's yeah. been incredible. Uh, Mays Middleton, mm-hmm. I've seen him uh, tweeting out some stuff and just having some private conversations with some of the guys yep. um, who I think are coming back next session, and specifically the Freedom Caucus. They understand this is a line that cannot be crossed. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be preparing for battle. So, um, you know... But, think, but more people need, starting to happen. More people need to be vocal about it. You need more people out there with Schaefer talking and being yeah. loud about it. And by the way, if you're in the grassroots, please ask anybody who's running for office publicly to make a statement yes. saying whether or not they support per, background checks on person-to-person uh, per, uh, gun purchases or red flag laws. Well, mm-hmm. Let's talk about red flag laws because that means like a lot of different things. Well, no, but, wait, let me just say <clears throat> they should get a statement from them. No, I agree. That they oppose that. Yeah. that. Not something saying I'm pro-Second Amendment, not something saying we shouldn't encroach on our faith. I oppose and will oppose any effort to impose red flag laws. Mm. And yeah, I will vote against it, and I will do everything. And you've got to be – you bring up a good point. You've got to be very specific. Yes. Because if not, politicians are literally trained – and talk about how they can manipulate their way out of answering a question, mm-hmm. specifically on the Second Amendment. I mean, I was recently at an event where someone was asked a specific question, and he gave this rousing speech of how he's pro-gun, Second Amendment, blah, blah, blah. We're going to see the same thing from Dan Patrick. He's saying, oh, we're going to defy the NRA, but I get an A-plus rating with them, and I'm this great guy. No, you need to drill down into the details, okay? Mm-hmm. Because you cannot support red flag laws, okay, and all expanded background checks and all of this stuff and be pro-Second Amendment. So people need to be very specific when they ask. In fact, I would encourage them, literally write it out if you can into a yes or no question mm-hmm. for these guys because we're probably looking like we're going to need to know where everyone stands on this I at think some we do. Point. Somebody needs to keep a list of that. Yeah. Um, they need to keep it publicly accessible. They need to upgrade, update it because this mm. is this is that important. Yeah. Um, what are what are other things? This gets uh, a little off of the the gun issue, but what are other things that elected officials 
uh, conservatives should be doing to engage the grassroots? I mean, are, what should they be doing now? We see that, to your extent, it, actually it's kind of ideal if maybe a couple people come out and put some liberal policies. That engages the grassroots really well. But if you're somebody who wants to work alongside <laughs> to advance those issues, what are some things that those people should be doing uh, to further engage the grassroots? Should the elected officials yep. do? The elected officials just need to start talking to the folks again. And the, the one common thing that I've noticed in, in some of the guys that are now speaking out against some of these things coming from uh, Republican leadership, um, the one common denominator is, is they, they're the ones that seem to be listening and looking for the grassroots input and seeking it out, having an opportunity to hear from them. And they need to have an honest conversation about what's actually being talked about. What are the red flag laws? What are you know the expanded background checks? How does it actually look? They have a responsibility to educate the public on the issue too. Because what's going to happen is we're going to get all these pollsters and consultants come along and say, do you want less crime? Okay. And then they're going to try and translate that into some of these horrible policies that will undo the Second Amendment. So I think elected officials have a responsibility to go out and educate the public and then actually look for their positions on it. Yeah, I don't think the public anymore believes that all that politicians do are good, yeah. not like they ever did. But, um, you know, I, I, I think they need to be more, as we talked about before, they need to be more authentic. When the, the Republican caucus sends you a cool little graphic to put up on your Facebook saying how great everything is, throw the graphic out and write a post that says the good and the bad and why what we can do in order to have a better result last time. Yep. No, nobody's going to believe it's all good. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody's going to believe it's all bad. Just yep. give me the good and the bad, the why, and let me know that you understand that everything that happened last session was not great. Yeah. Tell the truth. <laughs> yes, yep. just tell the and truth. And in regards to honest. the Second Amendment stuff, I mean, like, we're, we're overcomplicating some of this with political talk and whatnot. At the end of the day... I want somebody to just stand up and say, the Constitution that I swear an oath to doesn't allow me to do some of the stuff that, that, this, hmm. that is being discussed. Yeah. I mean, it really is as simple as that. And, hmm. and why is that? It's because you don't want to have to babysit your elected officials and worry about it every day. Yeah. You want to be able to go off, go to work, spend time with your kids, do what you do in your life for fun, and not have to worry about the people you elected in office turning on you and trying to restrict your liberties. Yeah. I don't want to like read the paper one day and say, Dan Patrick's doing what? I, I mean, I don't want to have to worry. I want to think... Greg Abbott's in office, Dan Patrick's in office. I'm protected for the next four years. Yeah. Yeah. Are conservatives, uh, you know, a lot of people have talked a lot about for the last year how there's been this shift in discussion and the effects of November of 2018. And some of it started in 2016 when Trump didn't do as well in Texas as a lot of people had hoped. Uh, do you feel like conservatives are on offense right now or are they on defense right now? What, what's the overall, in, in Texas specifically, wh where are we at? With activists. Just, I'm, I'm saying conservatives in Texas. Are conservatives in Texas well, I, I think on that, offense? I think, that's, I think that's part of the problem that we're having right now is you've got the activists who are on the offensive, mm. okay? And then you've got the state leadership who seem to be on the defense and apologizing for what we believe in or what we claim to believe in. So... I think that's why you have a lot of conflict right now, mm. and it's going to be interesting to see who wins out. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so, and I think it's because of a misperception as to why people are voting a particular way, and and um, I, I think it's just too much poll watching almost. Mm. Um, I, I hate to 
if you actually look deep into some of those polls too and, and take that as a reflection of what people think, you're looking and, and you know, you got your base that are voting based on issues. And then you've got a lot of people in the middle that are very strongly persuaded by mm. things that affect their everyday life, like red light cameras. I mean, when we would poll during the election, that came out number one was red light cameras mm. in, in terms of swinging that middle group of voters. They don't follow it every day. They don't, you know, think about the Constitution every day, but they know who they like, why, uh, who's a likable candidate, who they trust, who they trust, and and you know, different issues like red light cameras or car registrations or why they had to wait three hours in line at the DMV, and that's what they worry about. Um, so, you know, the middle isn't necessarily a point on a spectrum. It's people who look at politics a different way. And you can still hold true to your principles and get the middle. I mean, I was in a swing district um, that I won by 18 points in 2014 and, and mm -hmm. won again in 2016. Um, and it didn't go my way last time. But, you know, when you dig down on the issues, you look at Democrats in my swing district and a, ma a majority of self-identified Democrats agreed with defunding Planned Parenthood and banning late-term abortions. It, among Hispanic voters who were trying to appeal to, mm. it was 71 to nothing in favor in my district. So we're avoiding controversial issues like that mm. and still trying to pull those voters over to our side by what? Ignoring the issues they care about? The ones that we win on? The ones that they're emotionally invested in? That makes no sense to me. Where is Dennis Bonin on all this? So, you know, we've talked a lot about Patrick and, and Abbott. There's been very little from the speaker um, on the gun issue. Wh why do y'all think that is, and, and what do y'all credit for it? Well, I think Dennis is a lame duck speaker, so I think he's pretty much hiding, to be honest with you. And, yeah. you know, uh, Dennis is probably one of the um, worst offenders of, of – uh, hurting the Second Amendment crowd of the Republican mm. Party you don't, you don't this think, last session. You don't think he agrees with the people he called cavemen? Yeah, called them cavemen. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, you know, you had him come out literally last session with statements against the Republican Party platform on things mm. like constitutional carry mm. that uh, have been labeled and voted on to be a priority of our party, and then openly coming out and saying, no, we're not going to do it. Mm. Um, I, I don't think Dennis is very relevant in this discussion, to be honest with you, just because mm. I don't think... I don't think Dennis even believes he's going to be speaker after all the corruption stuff and, and the lies. I mean, it, it kind of goes into what Matt was talking about, about people, you know, trusting folks and mm -hmm. whatnot. Mm -hmm. I don't think Dennis even tries to kid himself that any of the voters trust him right now. I think most of the members have, have kind of uh, come to the conclusion that Dennis is a liability because he's been caught in lying and manipulating and backroom deals and all this stuff. So, I think they've a lot of them have quietly asked him to just keep his mouth shut hmm. on this issue. Yeah, what do we look like now with all of this going on? I mean, as a party, all of this is being done to what? Help us in the election. Yeah. And we've got the speaker scandal going on. We've got a do-nothing session that completely alienated conservatives. We've got the gun issue now uh, yep. alienating your base. We look like a bunch of idiots. We do. <laughs> we really and, and what's do. Iron so what's ironic leadership. is you know – that the people who are going to be mad about this discussion today are going to come out and say, oh, they're attacking Republicans. They're the ones that are going to cost us this. And it's yeah. like, uh, no. We're the only ones trying to help. You guys are lying <laughs> to everyone. You've been caught in lies. You're being inconsistent. 
somebody's got to tell the truth. And I and you know whether it's the Bonin deal, whether it's the Dan Patrick on the Second Amendment, whether it's you know trying to sell this conservative session that was purple at best. Voters aren't dumb. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you they're not some, dumb, and they see through all of this. They I, see through all of it, but they the politicians don't realize they see through all of it, so they just keep on they doing it. They keep lying it, and digging that hole, and you cringe every time you see it. It just kills me. So, yeah. Matt, you wrote um, an op-ed recently that was published at the Texas Scorecard, and one of the things you talked yeah. about was it was an excellent op-ed. Um, Thank you. One one of them was Dustin Burrow's statements about that during the recording where he talked about you know the grassroots are mad because they're being told to be upset, right? Right, and so there often is this misplaced frustration um, with politicians where they go, you're telling me I'm doing a bad job. That's why these people are mad at me saying I'm doing a bad job. So, you know, that must be the fault. And I I thought of a a parallel when Jonathan just talked about the fact that, you know, there will be people that listen to this discussion and go, y'all are hurting the Republican Party because you're talking about how bad we are on guns. I don't care. (laughs) But it's just amazing that people in Texas are not upset because Jonathan Sticklin and Matt Rinaldi don't think that the Republicans are doing the right thing on guns. They're upset because the Second Amendment has always mattered to Texas. Republicans are doing the wrong thing on guns. And they're doing the wrong thing on guns. You know, and, and so there's just this correlation causation that people don't understand Let's how to connect. Does that make us, sense? Help us to help us to help you. That's yes. what I would say to them. Help yep. us to help you. We're telling you what people are thinking. Yeah. <laughs> just yep. listen. I mean, listen, two things. Number one is people actually do believe in Austin that, you know, there's some meet conservative meeting that they all go to mm. and probably Tim Dunn is at the chair of it and instructing everybody, giving their orders and then we just <laughs> go. When in reality, we have a common political philosophy that we actually care about. So mm-hmm. I know how Stickland's going to vote even before I even talk to him about it. Yeah. Even when we disagree on an yep. issue, like yep. on a criminal justice issue or something like that, you know, I, I know how he's going to vote. He knows how I'm going to vote uh, before we vote because we do what we actually believe. But I think it's a little bit of projecting because they get their orders from on high and, and, and yeah. we don't. But, but another, I mean, another issue with it is, you know, to say they use that to alien they use that to alienate conservative legislators from the people who got them there hmm. from the people who elected them if you saw what what the Bonin leadership team was very adept at and smart guy very politically astute has been there for 20 years is every person who is a conservative he so adeptly alienated them from their supporters hmm. if you look at um, you know pro-life groups right Assigning, um, assigning the abolition of abortion bill to the civil jurisprudence committee. Jeff Leach. Jeff Leach, but not giving them the heartbeat bill and giving that to a Democrats committee. Yeah. So what does that do? Yeah. That alienates, that alienates Jeff from pro-life supporters. And if I'm Jeff, I'm not mad at the pro-life supporters. I'm mad at Dennis for putting me in that position. Yeah. And people weren't. They weren't getting mad at him. Dennis was using it to separate them from convince them it was actually something he was doing for them. Yes, and and I was looking at the list. So they, you know, they come up with this little committee that the Senate and the House put together of like Mm -hmm. we're going to look on how to deal with this mass shooting thing because government can solve all of our problems. What a horrible committee to be on, right? Like, who would want to go down there and do all this stuff? 
Oh, the, and, viol- the Committee on How to Reduce Violence? Oh, yeah. First of all, you're going to sit there and listen to just all kinds of crazy hours of testimony. That's co- sure. that that's vice chaired by the guy who threatened to kneecap me on the way to my car? That's yes, right. Yeah. That one. I got He's one way to reduce violence. violence. Yeah. Stop being violent. Stop, stop being violent. Have the vice chair of the committee stop being violent. Not, yes. not, not encourage violence. Not threaten aggressive violence against another one of his colleagues. But the, same, yeah. the thing is Probably so, a good start. The thing that's so frustrating about the whole process is like you saw over in the Senate how they started to rearrange stuff and like, oh, we're going to take Joan Huffman out of the State yeah. Affairs Committee chair and she's going to go do this new thing. And now Brian Hughes, we're bringing him over here. And you, and you start to look at all this, like, micromanaging of who's in there for what, who's going to be in charge. And you realize, like, this is being orchestrated from the top. Like, this is not a natural process and how we're going to come to an act. Look, these guys know exactly the bill in what form mm. they want to pass yep. right now. And they are positioning people who they think will do their bidding and make sure that that gets done the way they want to have mm. it done. Mm. And so, you know, I, I do think, um, you know, I'm hearing rumblings from folks in the legislature right now that a special session is coming. Mm. And the only thing left to be decided is, do we do that before the Republican primary or right after it? Mm. And, you know, it's just very helpless, I, I got to say, from, you know, the citizens' point of view, the voters' point of view of, like, these nincompoops are in charge and micromanaging this process to a certain outcome. How would you like to be a senator who has aspirations of running for statewide office in a Republican primary in 2022 and having to go down to a session and vote for this gun control bill? No. Yeah. And, and we're, look, it's, it's, it's just it's going to be one of those moments where you find out who's who. Mm. You know, I mean, this, this decision, I, I, I gave a quote to a newspaper a couple of days ago. They were talking to me about Dan Patrick, and I'm like, look, it doesn't matter if he backtracks and they pass nothing on this. Mm. Dan Patrick has already made his political bed. I think this issue is going to define him as a politician for the rest of his career. Hmm. And when these guys get down there, whether it's in a special session or on some, you know, hocus pocus uh, committee that they put up there or, you know, the issues that in the next legislature that they look at, this is going to define people for the rest of their Hmm. political lives. And so it's going to be interesting to see who looks at this as an opportunity of like, hey, I'm going to play with the good old boys. I'm going to go along with it. Abbott, Patrick, and all these people are really leaning into me, and I want to be on their team. We're going to find out who the real leaders are and who actually believes in the Second Amendment. I mean, you know, who are the defenders of the Constitution and who are campaign conservatives? Hmm. We're about to find out. Hmm. And I'm really scared about that because most of the people that I've worked with in the legislature – end up trying to figure out which way is blowing. But it'll give people a chance to really set themselves apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Absolutely. Yeah. you plan it's on standing on principle on this, you're saying, this is great. Now yeah. I'm just weeding out everybody who's, right. who's, who's posing. Yeah, and if you're if you're a uh, state rep or state senator who's willing to take a strong, firm, clear stance in favor of the Second Amendment, you kind of would love to have a special session right around now. I mean, to be honest, you have a great opportunity to show yourself as somebody who actually understands what the party platform says and articulate that even when you're going against people in your own party. And so, yeah, I hope, I think there are a number of people who probably don't realize the opportunity they're about to be given um, to really gain the support of a significant amount of Texans. So why do you think that, like, you've got conservatives who have united behind this uh, 
Lone Star Agenda thing and said, mm. this is what we need to do to keep Texas red and win in 2020. This is what's going to motivate us to get out and do the work and make the donations and talk to our neighbors and, and get the Republican Party going. Here's what you do to save Texas. Mm. They put this out, nothing. You got a bunch of leftists who come in here demanding that we trash the Second Amendment and push red flag laws and more government control, and all of a sudden, special session is anything, on the table. Anything you want. Anything you want. <laughs> what can I get? What can I do for I'm you pretty, to make you go pretty away? pretty sure they'll probably go away if they just you know, pass you just red flag laws. By the way, when has that ever worked? I mean, look, they, they tried to sell us this thing this last session with they, this massive increase in spending for public education, all right? Because yep. the teachers are mad, they're mobilized. We need to do something, it's gonna hurt us. We're not gonna be able to win re-election unless these people support us. So we go and we throw an unprecedented amount yep. of money just across the board to public yep. school systems. Yep. Guess what? I'm still getting the phone calls because my office, I'm still stay rep for right now. The teachers are more mad than ever before. In fact, they now believe all we have to do is yell, kick, and scream, threaten, and get involved in the election process, and we can make these stupid politicians do what we want. Yep. If you send that message to the anti-gun leftists, you give them an inch, you're done for. And you've proven to them which one of you are susceptible to changing your mind and your position with pressure. Mm -hmm. And those guys are setting themselves up for yep. a miserable legislative career. I mean, I've seen it like the guys who there are, there are a number of guys we could probably sit here and name them. Um, they who, who literally the last person to yell, kick and scream. That's who they're going with. And guess what? All of us know in the body who those people are. Mm -hmm. So who do you think gets yelled at? On every single yeah. vote. That same person. That same person. They're sitting there miserable, like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and it like becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. So you're not only trashing the Second Amendment. You're not only doing all this. You are teaching the left who actually believes what and putting a target on yourself. It's not going to end with red flag laws. It's not going to end with expanded background checks. It's going to be gun confiscation. And then it's going to be you know, uh, abortion, then it's going to be raising taxes. It's going to be everything that conservatives hate. You're literally making yourself miserable. Yep. Stand up and do what you said. You have an army waiting to come behind you. I'll never forget. I had a conversation with you before I even thought about running for office. I had a conversation with Ken Paxton and, uh, you know, asked him, like, you must get a lot of pressure, you know, being the only guy alone standing on principle. He's like, you know, once they realize you're not going to change your mind, they can pretty much leave you alone. Yeah. And that's pretty much the case. I mean, when yeah. a big vote would come up with you and I, they knew we were going to vote our principles mm -hmm. no matter what. They would focus on the guys that they knew would have an effect on. So some yeah. of these guys are coming into work every day with these, you know, getting pressured by oh, everybody. Yeah. Lobbyists. And lobbyists, and activists, everybody so. else. So they'd be like, okay, yeah, Matt's just going to do his thing. I mean, they, they would ask us how we were voting so they could take a tally of it, but they never would really push If they it. even needed to do that, because yeah. most of the time they knew. They would know. No, look, look, it got to a point, like, I remember my first session, and, and all of my four sessions there, the first one, I would have people come by and, and some lobbyists here and there who would try and influence me on a deal. Once they realized it doesn't matter what we say, they stopped coming. What they did do, if they ever came into my office, you know what it was to do? It was to, for whatever reason, they knew based on my uh, liberty principles where I was going to be, if it helped them on whatever they're working yeah. on, 
they would then bring me stuff yeah. to help defeat the thing that I was against. Mm-hmm. And but not, not to try and influence. And it didn't take long for just standing up to that. But once you are tagged in this process as being susceptible, it's what's so disappointing in my friend Dan Patrick because, like, Dan, this is what made you lieutenant governor. Being the one no vote, the guy that didn't bend, is what got you into arguably the most uh, important, most influential, most Mm -hmm. powerful position in Texas. Yep. And you have it. You deliver a great session. You take out your political foe in Speaker Strauss, and then for whatever reason, you abandon the strategy that got you there, Mm -hmm. the people that brought you to the dance, and you trash it. And it's just like watching a slow-motion train wreck Mm. of Dan Patrick going from literally the champion of the conservative movement, the leader, to one of the most despised, hated uh, people by the grassroots. I mean, that level of betrayal, I guess the fall from that top is just so dramatic, but I've never, I mean, I I have people who I know who have given him lots of money, who have endorsed him, knocked blocks in a hundred degree weather for Dan Patrick, who will never vote for him again, regardless of the policy, just the statements. Well, I I use, uh, it's crazy. I I, I always use the Donato test um, when, when I'm looking at issues, and my dad's name's Donato, so I always, that, that's, that's why I call it the Donato test. He's not an activist. He doesn't do this every day. Mm-hmm. He watches Fox News, but mm-hmm. you know he's not thinking about politics and micromanaging it. And you know he comes to me when this happens and says, what the hell are they doing? Mm-hmm. What are yeah. they doing? He goes, if this happens, I'm not voting Republican. Yep. Yeah. He goes, I'll vote. I'm not voting for a Democrat, but I ain't voting for the Republicans. Is anyone polling those guys? Because yeah. I'm getting the same thing. Oh. When, I, when, I, when I go to my Sunday school class, yep. you know, these are like, oh, we'll vote in the general election, kind of just regular everyday people who are telling me I'm not voting for this stuff. I'm not uh, voting for these guys. I've had my... Uh, like, who's polling these guys? Uh, I had a family member. I won't uh, say the relation because then it'll, you know, they'll find him and they'll red flag him. But um, <laughs> but I don't want to protect him. we got to be careful what names we drop here. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but I had a... Uh, uh, a relative texts me and, you know, somebody who works really hard, busy with his family, but generally interested in politics. What the heck is happening with Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick? Who's calling these people out? I even sent him uh, a couple of y'all's tweets and Schaefer's mm-hmm. tweets. Hey, it's okay. There's some yeah. people speaking out. And he goes, that's not enough. More people have to do it. Everyone should be doing it. Who do I sign up Where's for? James whatever Dickey? I do? Nowhere. No. And, uh, and I think that I want to kind of circle back towards the, uh, Towards the end here, Matt. Sorry, with, I just want to. No, there's a couple other throw. names I just want to throw out here. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the, you can read from the list. Yeah, yeah. the Republican yeah. Party right. is is also not doing anything right, and it's interesting because the GOP talked about how they were in session fighting for these principles during the legislative session, and now still up on their websites. Na- now is when it's getting actually attacked. I mean, the the, the Second Amendment wasn't attacked yeah. as much during but, the session today. But you get all these Sam Houston like posts on Facebook, or uh, yeah, or, or they'll attack Beto because a guy who isn't even in an office. Will uh, say something about Second Amendment rights. I'm like, Beto ain't doing anything to me uh, right Beto's now. Beto's not the threat. Trust Greg me. Abbott and Dan Patrick are doing something <laughs> the, to me, the, but yeah. Beto the, is not doing anything. The Democrats don't think Beto's a threat. The Republicans don't think Beto's a threat. The Republican elected officials are. Beto's polling at negative 1%. Greg Abbott's having roundtables with a bunch of liberal activists and kicking the gun groups out. And these, Who am I more concerned about right now? These are policies they couldn't get. Can, can we. 
Can we say that the U.S. Congress, even when run by Republicans, is is taking from areas like Connecticut, New York, so it's going to be more liberal than, yep. than the, the Texas yep. state legislature? Well, they couldn't even pass the policy that Dan Patrick's talking about when Democrats held a 55-45 majority in the Senate and mm-hmm. held the House by—Republicans held the House by about 30 votes. Yep. So they are one of two houses— one of them quite significantly still couldn't pass this policy. Yeah. But we're talking about it in Texas now because Republicans are doing it. Do you think that this is like some kind of weird gaslighting experiment where they're just like throwing out this ridiculous, crazy, completely 180 from their normal position to gauge how much conservatives fight back? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like everything since... I mean, January it's so Twilight Zone. Experience. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure this out, but I don't. I don't quite. I mean, it's just such a 180 from what these guys campaigned on. That, like, are they testing the grassroots? Are they trying to see what the resistance actually is to some of this stuff? Are they going to back away from it? Like, we've seen some of this stuff at the federal level, where they'll throw out an idea and then quickly backtrack. No, no. I, I think. I think the philosophy of. Re- statewide Republicans since January has been, Mm. I reject your reality and substitute my own. (laughs) I mean, that's basically what Mm. it's been. I I mean, by that whole session, selling it as a success while actively killing conservative legislation, um, and then somehow saying, oh, we just don't understand. We, I mean, not only do we think it was a good session, but we can't even conceive that you would possibly find any criticism in anything that we've done this session. When we've raised spending for the first time in six years, the property tax bill right now we're looking at might not hit the people who it's intended to hit. We've completely ignored issues like school choice, life, um, you know, I mean, that's what we've been dealing with this year. I don't know of one conservative interest group that's happy with last session. The only people I say that it was that I hear say that it was any success at all are the politicians themselves. No one else is buying it. Matt, but, you you made a point earlier about just the fact that Democrats since the mid '90s really decided to go a different route, right? Mm-hmm. Which was accepting the political reality that sometimes Democrats will be in control, sometimes Republicans will be in control. And right. that's probably best for everybody to understand that we've never really had one party then dominate for, you know, in perpetuity. And so in, it, their strategy became when we are in power, we have a set of principles, we have a set of policies, we're going to enact as much of that as possible, knowing that not all of it will be rolled back while the other party's in power, and then we'll just take a couple more steps forward. And uh, what is there anything that Republicans can do to understand that message, better enact that message? Who is it that we need to be communicating that to? Uh, you know, is this these are things that, that need to be communicated within the party, within elected officials? I mean, to me, that you hit on a message that's probably more fundamentally uh, core to the current disagreement going on within the Republican Party. I mean, party. You, you win by shifting the debate, right? I mm-hmm. mean, these little battles aren't as important as winning hearts and minds of people. Actually, we watched uh, Trey Gowdy was given a speech last night at Vitae Foundation and kind of talked about mm-hmm. this very thing. He goes, you know, I'm less, less worried about a bill I pass than winning hearts and minds with the argument because you win by shifting the debate. And that's what Democrats did, right? Mm. They enacted a huge healthcare plan that completely shifted the debate on healthcare. They lost an election, then won an election and are now back in power in the House. And we're still talking, now we're talking about universal healthcare. 
Hmm. Yep. Um, or Medicare yep. for all, as yep. they yep. say or want to call it. Yep. And Obamacare is just there now forever. Yep. Yeah. Um, they won. They yeah. advanced the ball, and that's how they did it. And we can do that, too. And I love to point out the fact that a lot of Democrats who voted in favor of Obamacare voted in favor of it, knowing that it was going to cost them their election in 2010, right? right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the number one issue Republicans ran on, and Democrats knew. It was not polling incredibly well prior to passing, no, right? right? Obamacare was a bad idea. The American people knew it, and Democrats said, we're going to enact this into law. We're going to let you send us packing in 2010, and you're not going to get rid of it. And then by the time we start to think we're going to come back into power, we're going to already be taking that next step. And yeah. I, I don't know an issue that we can really say that Republicans have taken that same approach on. Yeah, but we need more people like, like look at Chip Roy, mm. who was in a close election yep. and is now tearing it up in Washington, D.C., right? Yep. He's right. not, he, he knows he's right. He knows his principles are going to help people, yep. are going to, to, to help this country, and he's selling it. Mm. And he's doing it. And mm. he has a tough election challenge. He's yeah. not worried about, you know, making people mad at him because Wendy Davis is, is hot on his heels. No, he's doing what he said he was going to yep. do. We need more people like that. Yep. So let's talk about, like, where we go from here and, and how we actually win. Tell me if you agree with this. The only way we stop these horrible proposals coming out of Patrick and Abbott is for the grassroots to organize and to make very clear that there is going to be serious consequences for anyone that supports this agenda. Would you agree with that? Yes. Agree with that? Yeah, I agree. And so there's one thing that I've noticed in the legislature that regardless of the issue, we passed some great – heck, we passed open carry under Joe Strauss, who mm-hmm. you and I both know um, – he actually <laughs> called for a special session yeah, on gun he's control. He's agreeing with Dan Patrick so, and calling for a special session. The guy who wants a special session helped um, the, the on gun carry. control stuff. Yeah. But we got some good stuff through, like open carry. It was an advancement towards conservative principles, but we did it because Joe Strauss was convinced there was too much of a political price to pay if he didn't do it. Right. Yep. And so in this case, we've got to figure out, as a conservative movement with activists, like how do we make all of these folks know that you're going to have to pick a team, the leftists or the conservatives, and we have the ability to inflict more political pain Hmm. and consequences than they do. Hmm. Because most of these people aren't principled, let's be honest. Hmm. It's clearly not about principles, especially when you have people say one thing and then literally say something completely different. You can't just change your principles on some of this stuff. Or or, or they are principles, but they're in way over their head. Yeah, Hmm. they're getting really bad advice. Um, But (laughs) how, how, how do you think that we can successfully get these guys to know that the route you're going is going to be more self-destructive than coming back to who you are. Hmm. What do you think the grassroots needs to do in that regard? Would you agree that those guys are trying to figure that out? I mean, to Hmm. me, I see all these politicians who are trying to figure out what's the least amount of pain for, you know, survival. Hmm. Yeah. Because they don't have principles in most cases. So to win this battle, we're going to have to be – the louder bark, the hard, the the tougher bite. Mm. The, I think I think you need to. Is lie. that wrong? No, I don't. I think you, I think 
you know, the grassroots collectively, it's hard to do because you're talking about so many different personalities, so sure. many different people, right? Yep. You need to yep. line draw on some A lot of, of people are going to hear this and go like, I'm yeah. not that guy, you know? No, so, but, um, yeah, you know, like you need to line draw on the issues. I, I think Lieutenant Governor Patrick crossed the line that has sent everybody in, in in an uproar, mm-hmm. and rightfully so, right? I think before with the session and some of the overselling some of what we did, they didn't cross a line, but I think people were more disappointed that they were just kind of being lied to or, mm-hmm. or they were misrepresenting the successes of the session, but that didn't really, that just, you know, made them upset. But I think this crossed a line. We need to set our lines, understand, let our politicians understand, you know, what we want, but don't make them think that we can't be satisfied with anything less than mm-hmm. what we're asking for. Mm-hmm, we sure. really only want partners in our fight for well, and in less this case, we don't. Yeah. yeah, in this case, we just don't want you to hurt us. <laughs> mm-hmm. In this case, we just don't want yeah. you to hurt us. Like, but, I mean, the, constitutional carry is great, but don't <laughs> don't pass this stuff. Would yeah, we, would we, would be somewhat okay at this point. I mean, the grassroots was happy in 2017, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, during session, we failed on one of our major, uh, on pretty much every fiscal goal we had, except for keeping the budget, you know. Population plus inflation. Population plus inflation. But we didn't we didn't pass the property tax reform. We didn't pass some of that stuff. But we achieved a lot of victories. I think they were generally satisfied. And conservatives they, went down swinging. And conservatives went down losses. swinging. And, yep. and, you know, I mean, we... We passed a huge sanctuary city bill. We, yep. you know, um, we passed more pro-life legislation border than we've ever security. passed before. Um, border security. It's just, but they felt like people were were fighting. Th- this session um, was markedly different. They didn't no. feel like they had those. How, how much does it also hurt? And I want to get y'all's perspective because you've both served in the legislature. How much does it hurt that? Um, that politics, the culture right now in Texas is largely driven by fear and from the top. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, what we all know is that most of your state representatives and state senators who are also sitting back looking at this whole situation going, what the heck is happening, feel powerless to say anything about it for fear that it will completely, you know, diminish any influence they will have and that the the system will basically try to reject them and keep them from from having that influence so so does the the culture of kind of top-down governance and the inability of an honest conversation like this to happen also contribute towards you know the lack of accountability does that make sense at all i don't even know if it, it does Yes, the culture incentivizes you to play along, right? But you can still have influence if you don't. It's harder. Mm-hmm. It's yep. it's definitely harder. It takes more work. On it does. It takes more work. But you know yep. what? Suck it up. You're you're in office. You know, do do the work for it. I mean, remember we had said what, what was the number one bill that swing voters wanted to see passed when we were polling it all across the state? I'm Red light remember. cameras. Yep. Who passed it? Bam. Yep. Boom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yep. so so here's somebody, and, and I was talking with a legislator, too, that, that wanted to, uh, you know, had, had something, a beef with Abbott, and said, you know, you got to be vocal about this. I was like, well, I don't want him to endorse against me in the general election. Greg Abbott endorsed us. <laughs> he endorsed Stickland. He endorsed me. I mean, he's not going to go I don't know if he would you. tomorrow. But I don't know if he would tomorrow either. I don't think that's happening again. But no, but look, right. every, every single day, um, I was very aware of this, every single day, uh, members, whether it's in the Senate or the House, 
make a conscious decision to buy into a system that, mm -hmm. for the most part, takes away all their power and gives it to another individual. Mm. And most people trade the power of the, um, the seat that they hold for a perceived gain of protection. Mm. Yeah. They're convinced, like, I'm going to give you all of my stuff and ability and voice and uh, individual you know, rights. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to keep me safer than I could keep myself. I mean, mm -hmm. it really is a lazy thing. But people literally consciously do that every single day. Mm -hmm. um, you can change the rules. You could change the speaker. You could change anything with 76 votes yep. on any day yep. during, you know, the legislative session. And so people who, you know, it's it's very convenient for a lot of folks to come in and say, oh, I just can't do that. I, I, we, we can't do this. We can't do that. Whatever it is. And it's like, because the only reason you can't is because you're not. Because then mm. they can worry about the, the more important things like yeah. ste steakhouses. Right? And the problem yeah. is, is that most politicians <laughs> are define themselves and their being and their self-worth by the position they hold. Plus it's uncomfortable too. I mean, Oh yes. yeah. I mean, it's 100%. a culture. Like I've never, I've never been more uncomfortable. Like what the, during the mother's day massacre night when I turned to you and I think you're sweating. So half your body weight, I think you yeah. lost that night. And I was yeah. like, I've never been more uncomfortable than I am. Yeah. Now. No, it's, <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. Sometimes um, I think like everyone relishes it and you're going, no, this isn't what I wanted to do. No. Cause I was, I, 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 I would remember to be in a different situation that night we had a strategy and the strategy worked and we actually had an effect on legislation. We had an effect on, on all of the pro-life literally outnumbered with 12 people um, resulted in passing all of the pro-life legislation we passed during special session because mm -hmm. of it. Um, and, you know, during it, you're sitting there going, this could go very badly. If we fail, um, we could look like the largest idiots in the world in the papers mm -hmm. in all of our hometowns and yep. just be terrible. Yeah. Yep. Um, you don't but know how to. it's going to turn out, but you have to. Yep. Um, you have no idea how it's going to turn out. It's a huge risk. It's not comfortable. It's outside of everyone's comfort zone to do stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. But well, you need people to do stuff like no, that. No, you do. And it's going to be fun <laughs> to watch on this gun issue mm. since we've been betrayed by some at the top. Um, who's going to rise up and defend? Yep. Um, and again, to Matt's point, I don't think it's got to be a large number. It could be just yep. a handful of people yep. who rise up and say, you know what, we're not going to stand for this and, yep. and bring the entire process that is being hidden and decided and manipulated and orchestrated by a few people of how they think this is going to play out. Who's the small group? Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's two. Maybe it's five. Maybe the Freedom Caucus comes back together in its entirety. Maybe the Senate uh, group gets together and, and come in and say, you know what, we're not going along with this. Yep. And you're not going to be able to do all this stuff behind the scenes. We're going to make you do it out in public. Because truthfully, the more we can pull of this whole process mm -hmm. and put it in the public, mm -hmm. liberty and the Constitution are far safer out here with them mm -hmm. than the stupid politicians down in Austin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think this whole thing is, is, has really gone to show it. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I know I'm praying for a lot of these guys uh, that they figure out what needs to happen. Um, I think we've got to get on the same pages with messaging. I hope the gun groups come out and, and start actually fighting against. And, and somebody needs to raise their hand and say, government can't solve our problems, mm -hmm. whether it's on guns or any of the other problems. Government's not the solution. Mm. And to combat evil in the world, we're going to need good people to do good things and take responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think it's been a good discussion here. And
Um, Matt, do you have anything yeah. else to uh, kind of tell our listeners in closing? No, I just think this is a very, very important battle to win. Um, we're talking about our Second Amendment rights. We're talking about policy, which effectively is a de facto gun registry. We're talking about red flag laws um, that target I- individuals that have not been convicted of a crime. Um, this is serious. This isn't some some we incremental won't get a redo thing. On this. No. There's no redo. No, th- this is very serious, and this is why the Democrats want it so badly. Yep. yep. So you know, we we have to win this battle. We can't afford to lose it. Thank you both for uh, getting together today. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the insight you've given. Thank you. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy. PatriotAcademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Messias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com, we're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit LukeMessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Messias Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much, and God bless.